Welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation brought to you by Ledium. In today's episode, we have the legendary Dale Dupree back on the show to discuss the importance of building relationships in sales and how to stand out from the competition. Colin, the mic is yours. All right. Welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation brought to you by Ledium. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell, and we've got the legendary Dale Dupree back on the show again. I mean, I think the the thing that's kind of resonating is is that, and it's interesting that people sit on two sides of the fence about this, that people buy from, you know, people they know, like, or trust, uh, you know, but the, the reality is like, I hear it all the time. People People are not buying on price. A lot of times they're willing to spend more if they feel like it's somebody that they're more aligned with and that there's more trust established or you're the type of seller that's going to tell them what they don't want to hear or tell them things that nobody else is telling them in the sales process. Those are the type of things that win relationships um, that last a long time and earn, earn the right to ask for the business where, you know, um, that's evidence that people buy from people, you know, and, and that's the, the one factor that's the most important thing. So what are you doing to build that relationship or nurture it or in that sales process that could be making them go one way or another? Yeah, it, it is. So here's like, here's how I dumbed this whole thing down is I, I looked at the way a sales cycle typically worked and said, cool. So like we prospect by saying, hi, I do this thing, sell this thing, help with this thing. Right. And, and we pass a business card, we leave information, you know, whatever the case. And, and from there we start, we start our cycle. And then it's like six stages, right. Is the thought like everybody is, is always kind of the same. It's like, you, you have these conversations that are qualification uh, of your product and service for the customer. You discover needs and analysis around like how the product will work, whether it's the workflow itself or, you know, whatever the case, what it's, who it's affecting. Right. And then there's the proposal stages, the closing stage. Like I looked at it and I said, okay, cool. So none of this is normal or natural. So like the way a human interacts and how a human operates, like we've boxed everything into this very like linear perspective. And it's very and like the other side of it, it's not just that it's very linear, it's that it's also uh, very rigid. It's it's like, this is what has to happen. And, and because of that, we've like used the, the logical side of our brain to say like, well, it, this all makes sense. And we've forgotten how we make people feel in the process and, and instead we say we use buzzwords like you know like we practice customer service like man i practice excellence because i care about how someone else feels and that's the bottom like i don't convolute that i just want to know like how am i making somebody feel that's what i care about more than anything else and and so then i i looked at all that bro and i just said cool so what i need to do is like when somebody goes in and like gives their business card and says what they do i have that's the logical explanation of why i'm here I need to do things that almost feel illogical. Like, why did he just do that? That was super kind or crazy. Like, that was nuts. And I need to, like, hit that emotion. And by hitting that emotion, everything changes. And so I figured out how to do that in every part of the seven, you know, <laughs> the seven-part sales system or process of whatever big guru you're, you're following, right? I, I figured out how to make people think I was either nuts or 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 
question like why is he being so kind or generous or doing this in the first place this is above and beyond and like and that's the identity of like a relationship right because i'm i'm not indifferent anymore like i'm acknowledged good or bad yeah I have a feeling you would go for the shock value of he's nuts more often than not. So can you give give me an example, pick any stage of the sales process um, and kind of either tell, you know, tell me a story example uh, or something specific that a seller can do to make the buyer be like, this guy is nuts. Yeah. Here's a, here's an exclusive bro. I tell this to a lot of students, but I don't know that I've ever talked about this on a podcast. People always want to hear about my crazy, uh, prospecting ideas, uh, you know, because I I got famous off of that stuff, like quite literally. I mean, I I cold called a billionaire at a publicly traded company, and and like he told the entire organization across the United States who I was, you know, like I I did wow. So everybody wants to know about the prospecting side, but like, and the book has a, the book that we have has a lot of that detail and information in there as well too, right? So if people want to hear those stories, like just go pick up the book, How to Start a Sales Rebellion. But the the real meat and potatoes for me is like the proposal stage. That's my favorite place to do because like a lot of people get there and they're like, oh, they're like, oh, like get all nervous. They're like, oh my God, like make sure I get everything right here. Like my proposals at one point, I thought for sure I was going to get fired for the way I delivered on these things, right? Because it almost felt beyond irrational to an extent. It was like so scary for someone to like even know that that's what I was doing, like from a, a, uh, leadership standpoint that they're ha- that at some point someone was going to fire me that's what i can think of it imagine that like you're getting a proposal for somebody and for the most part again like i analyze these things like what's the norm and so for the most part people get things like a five to ten page proposal in my industry that i was in copier space and software space and and that proposal you, know, you just kind of flip through it like you don't even really look at anything that's on it you just literally like oh an executive letter on the front fantastic thank you, McCormick. And you kind of just yeah. like move on, right? You never, you don't even really get into the, to the, the mean potatoes of it. Even I, I witnessed even RFPs, like in the decision-making process, people like putting notes about certain things and being like, how did you miss all the stuff I wrote about that? Like, how are yeah. you asking yeah. questions when there's 18 pages about it in your RFP? So because of that, I, I I looked at a proposal as hieroglyphics, and I literally took that idea and was like, that's genius. And I, instead of, so if you were living to the proposal, you would read, if you read, you would read poetry or like um, uh, kid songs, right, is what I had in there, like uh, Ring Around the Rosie, whatever that whatever the term is I'm looking for for this. But then I, I used literal hieroglyphics. As well. It's so like on the cover page of your proposal, you either picked it up, picked up on it, or you didn't. But it had like your logo and my logo, but it didn't have your name, your company name. It was literally like boxes and shapes as if like it printed wrong. And all through the proposal, it said things like that. It said like at the top in certain areas, it would say stuff and things and big bold letters. And then below it, the paragraph starts and it's like literal gibberish in hieroglyphics. And then you get back to the, I've watched people literally like flip through that and not even flinch or say it works. They're not paying attention. Yeah. Right. And then, and then they get to the back and, and they look right for the price and I'd leave the price blank every time on purpose and, and <laughs> like literally just leave the price blank on purpose or I'd have a price there and I'd line through it. It would say a million dollars and I would line through it, you know, like silly stuff like that. 
And it caused a couple of things. Number one, for the person to backtrack in most cases, thinking maybe they missed something and then they'd start laughing, right? And then they'd realize what's happening. And I even had like a little kind of summary that was like, most proposals you get are garbage. You don't even look at these pages. You know, it, like what you care more about is like what it costs because the seller has put so much of an emphasis, especially over time, around that the most important thing is whether or not it meets the budget. Because like if you've had a copier, you know the copier works and then it doesn't. So in your mind, you just think, well, what's my cost for this one that I might want because I kind of like this guy. And I would tell people basically, that's okay. Like I understand like the game I'm playing or the, the field I'm playing, the game I'm playing in, right? I, and I'm not going to play by anybody's rules. So, you know, my my goal is to help you to feel comfort with me, even if you're paying more money. And, and come to that executive decision of like, if, if you don't want to pay more money, I don't want you to pay more money. And let's just have you go with somebody else in the first place. And, and I'll help you vet that person, right? That was like my mindset of when I was delivering off. Like, it was so funny when people would finally kind of like come back to the price. It's my favorite thing. I actually told this to a guy in construction that I knew very well, and he tried this on an RFP, and he won a $44 million sale off of it because the guy called and basically was like, hey, you left your price blank. That's This is what would happen. So I did it too. Like when people would ask for a proposal, there's no price, bro. And people would go, hey, they'd call and go, hey, you left your price blank. If they wouldn't meet with me, that was the interaction I'd have with them. And I'd go, I'd go yeah, I did that on purpose. Every time. And then I'd, I'd straight up tell them exactly what I just told you and that I'm not a commodity. I'm not, you know, I'm not just a dollar amount. Like I'm fixing this problem. I'm helping you with this thing. These are the things that you desired. If I'm not doing those things, why would you do business with me in the first place? And if I am, what, what would you be willing to spend to fix these issues and to, to plug these leaky holes? And most people were like, almost immediately, bro, most people would say, well, we paid this right now. That's what they would tell me after all that, right? After all those months and weeks, they go, well, we pay 500 bucks a month right now. And, and every time I had the same response to, which is like the, this idea of being more human and fun and witty and, and like really just helping people understand you're different. And I would say, well, I can't do that price. So I'd say every time. And they would go, well, what could you do? Which is that expression of like, that they really do want to know what the price is. And I would say, well, 500 is a lot of money. As much as I would, I'd like to charge you 500 bucks. Uh, I can only do this machine for 399. That's as high as I can go. <laughs> it was just like silly stuff like that, right? <laughs> and, and dude, it, it was always meant with some silence, right? Like you'd get like four or five seconds of literal silence. You just had to sit yeah. and wait and they'd go... Oh, so less? And I, I go, well, yeah, technically, technically. <laughs> but, but you could spend 500 with the same people if you wanted to stick with them, you know? And like, and the thing is, is that like in most cases in my industry, bro, the price is made up, dude. It's made up. Nobody's playing by any MSRP rules, right? And there's sellers out there that are in these types of industries that are listening to this. Like, don't play yeah. by don't play by the status quo rules. Like figure out what your profit needs to be, what you want to make, what's fair for the company. And we had those guidelines, right? And I made sure that those guidelines were met, especially with my team, because it's irresponsible to to do the things that people do in B2B sales these days. Like, bro, I saw a, a, a monthly charge for a CRM for nine people that would make you and me collectively throw up for hours. 
if we weren't in control of being able to help make to like better that decision, like I was just like, how does this even happen? How can people get away with this? Right. So, so, you know, it's always relevant, right? There was plenty of times too, when somebody would say it's 500 bucks and I would say, well, then you should stay with them because mine's 699, right? There was plenty of times that that happened too, but people were, even in those moments, people were willing, very willing to negotiate like 699. Well, it's a lot more, but you know, you could hear their wheels going, like they really wanted to do yeah. something, right? So, you know, and in the commodity space, like you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, so what, move on, get to the next, right, is the idea. But ultimately, for me, it was about the relationship. So I would know that I was going to win some, I was going to lose some, so what? And then I would say, but if I can stick around, if I can be memorable and also and ultimately unforgettable, not just memorable, then I'll always be a part of this person's ecosystem and I'll have another shot down the road. And that's all I really want in the first place. But, but I, I, I would say that the number one differentiator for me was like creating those types of experiences for people in the proposal stage, in the first meeting stage, in the follow-up, in the way that I responded to certain situations, like was always thinking creatively and how I can connect with the human on the other side. Yeah. I love it. I think, I think, you know, people don't want to work with the status quo seller. Or, you know, uh, people want to work with people that, you know, care enough and are going to do things a little bit differently and, and not necessarily, now, not everybody, but I think the majority of people, if you can stand out in some way throughout the sales process, that's what you're really shooting for there is how do I stand out against the other five, 10 people that are trying to all get this same deal? Yeah, for sure. It really is yeah. about like ultimately differentiating yeah, because people do business with people they trust. That's the bottom line. And to, to earn that trust, if you can relate to them, if they can feel like they're speaking to somebody that's down to earth, that's more human, hell, even like out in outer space somewhere that they don't really understand, but they're attracted to this differentiation that you bring to the table, that'll help you to stand out more than anything else. It's not like the sales playbook, so to speak, like no matter what, Creativity speaks to the to the emotions of things, and authenticity speaks to the way that people give a little piece of themselves, which is that expression of trust, right? Someone telling you something they normally wouldn't is expression mm -hmm. of trust, and like getting to those places is super important. But it really ultimately is about just remembering that the world is a noisy place, and everybody's just out there trying to like work for twenty years and retire. And so they're getting their buck. They're they're doing everything they can to just like make money, get paid, move on. And the and the real the rebels of the world and the real elites, the people that are super successful, all the men and women in my circles that have happiness, fulfillment, live great lives. You know, and and look, they don't all have to have a million bucks either, ladies and gentlemen. Like y'all don't have to have that in your bank account to have success, to be happy, and to be fulfilled. You got to do what you love. And 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 I'm telling you right now, those people are always the people that just look a little further than everybody else. Even if it's just like 12 yeah. months down the road, just a little further, and it'll change the game for you. Yeah. Dale, it's been awesome having you on, man. Um, any final thoughts? And, and then where's the best place for people to get into your world? Yeah, man, I would just say, based on our conversation, uh, anybody out there that's, that's listening to this, just remember that there's a rebel in you. And, and then that rebel in you is like hope is a verb, as I like to say, that this identity that like you believe enough in what it is that you're doing and ultimately what you're building, that you take that hope 
<laughs> and turn it into action on a daily basis. That you risk, you take chances, you do things that are unpopular because nothing in life worth doing was ever easy. So take the hard road willingly, and you will get riches untold and in ways that you didn't even understand riches could be delivered to you in your life. Uh, anybody that wants to holler at your boy, you can go to salesrebellion.com or find me on linkedin.com backslash IN backslash copy your warrior. I'm on all social sites from TikTok to Instagram to you name it at Dale Rebel Leader. Um, or you can just find the corporate pages and Sales Rebellion. Love to meet you, Rebels. We've got great communities for y'all to come and hang out. And Collins in one of them too, actually. So come find the Rebel Slack and come hang out with us. Come talk creativity and sales. Come become a Rebel. Awesome. We'll drop all the links there in the show notes to make it easy for people to get into your world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share the show with your friends, write us a review, help us reach more sellers and sales leaders to help transform the way that they sell. 